0: Hi, this is Matthew Gatozzi from the future. Before you jump into this awesome podcast episode, I want you to know that some things have changed around here since this episode was published. This show was called How to Build an Audience, and now it's called How to Market Your D2C Brand. The setup is the same, but we now have more of a focus on who we are talking with and what we are actually talking about. So if you're confused, hopefully that clears it up. Lastly, we also changed our company name from Gutozi Collective to Guto Studios. A lot of rebranding has happened since season one of the podcast, but thanks so much for supporting us as we grow and change. Enjoy this podcast episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the show so you can listen to the new episodes coming out soon. Okay, thanks. Enjoy. Your website is a place where you can hold all of your content and the goal is to drive people to your website. A lot of people interpret that and use social media to broadcast that they have a new blog post up and that they should come and check it out. These people are shocked when they see how little people go and read the blog post. The issue may not be the blog post or the idea of driving traffic to your site. The issue could be how we interact with others online. In the post, going to try and provide enough value
1: to answer the question, that if, even if the person doesn't click, they still got something out of it, right? I'm not going to hide my stuff on the other side, say, Hey, come over here so I can hit you with an email opt-in and I'll give you the good stuff. Like, cause no, people are not stupid. People look at that and go, yeah, you're just trying to get me onto your marketing site so you can get my email address.
0: So guess what? Don't do that. Social media is called social media because the point is to interact and communicate with others, not broadcast to others. Alex Hillman is a master community builder online and offline and now has a book breaking down how to do this yourself. You are listening to How to Build an Audience, the podcast that tells the stories of how some of the top entrepreneurs, marketers, and communicators built a following around their businesses and brands. I am your host, Matthew Catozzi. Today I am talking with Alex Hillman. Alex is based in Philadelphia, and after leaving Drexel University early, he started building websites for businesses. As he was freelancing, he had a deep desire for a community as he worked. He teamed up with a few friends to start Indie Hall, one of the first co-working spaces in the U.S. in 2006. For reference, WeWork didn't start until 2010. Indie Hall has become a staple in Philadelphia and has grown to hundreds of members. Alex teamed up with Amy Hoy to start Stacking the Bricks, which is a company that helps freelancers bootstrap and build effective businesses. Most recently, Alex published a book, The Tiny MBA. This book is not your typical business book. Each page has one thought that is a small prompt to make you think about something bigger in your life and business. There are 100 ideas that will help you evaluate and execute on your built-in advantages in your business. We will be giving away one copy of The Tiny MBA at the end of the episode. But until then, the story of how Alex published his book started... On Twitter? I think about Twitter more like a place to hone
1: my thoughts and ideas in public. And I think maybe that's a, akin to the way people thought of blogs before blogs became a, often a broadcast medium as well. It was a, you know, writing is one of the most powerful, but also one of the hardest kinds of thinking. And the constraints of Twitter being 280 characters, when I joined in 2006 and for a long time, it was 140 characters. So even shorter, how do you have a complete thought in 140 characters? And the answer is sometimes you don't. And that's part of why Twitter feels like a mess sometimes is people read a tweet as if it's a complete thought and then you know attack the one thing that's missing. And that's its own sort of inherent design problem of Twitter, but I think the good side of Twitter is as a place where, over my entire time of using it, it's kind of like where, you know, if you're hanging out with friends and you're just kind of, if you were in a co working space, for instance, and you have this sort of like offhanded thought that might be useful, you might turn to a friend and say it. And it maybe it would spark a conversation, but other times they'd be just like, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. I use Twitter that way. Twitter's where I like all my offhanded thoughts go. And what's been interesting is over time, I'd learn how those thoughts were received. I'd learn what questions people had as follow-up. I'd learn what was clearly confusing or unclear to the reader. And so I almost think of Twitter like my idea dojo right it's a place where i go to listen more than i go to talk but when i do say something it's not for the sake of reaching everyone it's just for kind of getting that idea out of my head and seeing if there's anything that happens and because i've been doing that for far too long when a challenge was posed in december of 2019 by some you know authors and creative folks to say hey if you're on twitter there's a good exercise to like practice communication and sharing thoughts and opinions, post a tweet that says, you know, I'm going to reply to this top tweet with a strong opinion or idea or lesson or observation about a thing that I know a lot about. So I picked business and specifically building businesses for the long term, right? How do you, not just businesses to flip or businesses to like scale super fast, but like how do you build a business that lasts? That's a thing that I know a lot about and I care a lot about. So I said, for every like that I get on the first tweet, I'll reply to it with another lesson or idea or whatever it is. And I'll cap it at 100 in case it goes on forever. And so over the course of a few days, I started doing exactly that. People would like it. I'd add a few things. And once I got past the first like eight or nine, I was like, wow, this is harder than I thought it was, would be. Because it is hard to have a complete thought in 280 characters. And so sometimes that constraint would make me think, all right, there's actually multiple pieces to this thought. What are the, if each one needs to be self-contained, how concise can I get while still being clear? And each time always thinking about like, well, who's, who's reading this? What did I promise them? And how do I deliver that? And over the course of, you know, another 15 or 20 tweets, I kind of figured out a, a rhythm and a little bit of a structure for addressing you know, a, a conceptual area like hiring or partnership or pricing. I do like three, four, five at a time, sometimes up to eight, nine, 10. And eventually I, I hit a hundred. And because I was doing that work in public, because I was leveraging the constraints of the size and the format of Twitter, but I also had the feedback loop of Twitter. People are liking certain ones more than others. They're responding. They're saying, oh, I've never heard it said that way. That makes so much sense. Or man, I wish I'd heard that before. I would have saved me a whole lot of heartache when this terrible thing happened in my business or whatever it was. Because everyone's been through that stuff, but they often just don't hear it or they don't hear it in a way that resonates with them. And so the way this thread was unfolding seemed to connect with folks. Some six weeks later, after that thread was done, Christmas was over, New Year's was over, I had gone on vacation, and the thread was still kind of alive. It was still getting retweets and you know, quote tweets and likes and oh, it was it was wild. I've never I've had some posts in various social media go viral. This was something different. And so, you know, I, I saw a few folks say, you know, this Twitter thread is more valuable than the last five business books that I read. And I have to take all of that with a serious grain of salt. But it made me think, wait a second, w- well, what does that mean? Like, why? Because I'm not saying anything distinctly profound, but something about the format, the delivery, the ability to like have 100 discrete things to sort of latch onto. And wherever you come in, you can then kind of discover the rest of like, all of that was really interesting. And I thought, well, what if it was a book? What would that look like? And I casually kind of quote tweeted the entire original thread and said, Hey, if I was going to make a book out of that, out of this wonder what, wonder what I'd call it. And people just like, it blew up all over again. And I was like, okay, people are really into this. So I reached out to a designer friend and said, you know, those tweets that went kind of viral over the holidays, I think, I think they want to be a book <laughs> like the, like, I didn't set out to create a book, but we created this body of, of ideas and knowledge and, stuff that people were really connecting with and if i thought about you know i could have you know downloaded the tweets generated a pdf and sold it for 10 bucks but i don't think people want to buy at any dollar amount a pdf of tweets but if we actually step back and go why are people connecting with these ideas how are they useful how can they be used it's more about packaging and the format happens to be a book and i think the advantage of a book as someone who's done tons of digital products over my career, as well as physical products in the co-working world, the difference with a book is it takes up space. And so the ability to buy a book, and you said you buy business books all the time. People buy book business books without really any intent to read them sometimes. I like a book. I like a book to sit. I mean, behind me, right, there's a bunch of books over here. I like the way they look. And so with that book being at arm's length, now these ideas are at arm's length too. And I kind of like the idea of creating a physical artifact in addition to the digital stuff. So that's sort of a long way of answering the question how this format came to be. But I think that the key part of this is, you know, Twitter, I, I think a book like this could only really be born on Twitter. I don't think if I sat down to write a book, I would have ever written this book. The closest, like, a, like comparisons that i've seen made to it are things like brian eno's oblique strategies which is a deck of cards and some folks have actually referenced the zen cones which is like it is more like a book but it's more like a a collection of parables um but yeah I, i definitely i have tried to sit down and write a book in the past and struggled Nothing in my life experience or universe would have sa- said to me, and no customer would have ever told me, Hey, Alex, you should write a hundred tweets and then turn those tweets into a book. It, it kind of had to come from the way it evolved on Twitter.
0: Being on Twitter, was that your validation for there's an audience? Like, how did you get to that point where you're like, Okay, I have an audience? for this book. And I guess for people who are looking to maybe create their own business and create and build an audience around themselves, how do you go about seeing or not seeing where things are working? Like how do you kind of test the waters to find an audience, but then also to really start to scale it and, and build it? This is a really good question. And I think part of the the challenge is
1: hidden inside of your question, which is, you know, did I go on Twitter to build an audience for the book or anything for that matter. And I think that that's the mistake. People create an audience to sell a product instead of creating an audience to connect with those people and to build trust with those people. And when I say build trust, what I really mean is earn trust. And the way you do that is by being where those people are listening to the things they talk about, the problems they have, the things that they're struggling with, the things that they're excited about and connecting with them. And that's such a funny word to connect with them because it makes you think, well, I can just, you know, I can follow them and I can like their tweets. No, no, no. I mean to, I'm not talking about engagement, that like really weird marketing term of engagement that's distinctly measurable, but also often worth worthless. What I'm talking about is, does that person give a shit about you? Because you've proven that you give a shit about them, right? And my experience on Twitter, again, maybe this goes back to the the way I've always I, I've always sort of interacted online and in communities online and off, is I'm there to be as generous as I can be with my ideas, with no expectations in return. I'm just there to to give folks what I think they're asking for, and. If I do a good job, that earns me the ability to at some point, take what I've learned while being generous. I learn what resonates. I learn what connects. I learn what they need the most. what is the most expensive problems they have, the problems and and also, like what packaging do they buy their solutions in, right? Do they buy software? Do they buy books? Do they buy courses? Do they buy like what what do they actually do, right? I have to observe that. and participating in communities before you try and sell them on anything is the easiest way to do it. And people make it really hard and complicated trying to find this like convoluted way in, like how do I build a community around my product? And I'm like, well, step one is you forget about your product and put all of your attention on them and what they're trying to accomplish. And if you do a good job of that, you're going to get a better idea for a product that they actually want to buy than anything you're thinking of right now.
0: I'll quote your book. It says, uh, lots of people get stuck on the idea of audience building because it feels like an abstract outcome of self-promotion. And for a lot of people, self-promotion holds serious negative connotations. This is because most people have only seen examples of bad self-promotion. And then the next page is audience building should really just be called earning trust at scale because that's what it is. And you you do talk about, you kind of just said like, you know, forget about the product, just focus on the people. I kind of want to get a little bit more practical on that. Like let's dig deeper into what you're saying about earning trust. Like what does that look like on a day-to-day effort? Like for me, like I'm trying to build an audience around my business. I'm trying to build an audience around this podcast. What what should be my day-to-day, you know, you know, getting in there and actually getting to know people and how should I go about this? Let's get practical with, with this kind of us trust building um, for you. The the business that
1: actually published this book is a business called Stacking the Bricks, and we we have a a bunch of products that help people with various parts of their businesses. But there's a couple of central themes and skills that we teach, uh, and I'm going to share a little bit with you, with you today that are sort of central to all of them. It's one of those things where no matter what you're trying to do in business, if you learn these core skills first, it makes all the other ones easier. And this, this question you're asking and the answer to it are really at the heart of it. So step number one is being really clear about who you're trying to be for, right? A lot of times our emphasis on us, our ideas, our products, our services, great. But if you can't tell me in a very specific, you know, not a sentence, but like a couple of words, who buys your thing, who hires you or your products or services, then that's where we've got to start. Right. And so, you know, you have a a business that is, it sounds like is mostly marketers. Is that right?
0: Yeah. We do content creation for other, uh, like CPG brands. So we do like photos and videos. Okay. So perfect.
1: So, and then you go one, one step more specific focus on CPG. Yep. Excellent. So that's another thing where people say, well, we, you know, we do content creation. I go for who, and they go for anyone and I go "Eh, for who? And so like, you're already in that right direction. So that's step number one. Step number two is, where are those people online? And if you don't know an answer to that, sometimes it's helpful to define a more specific role because I think, especially when we're talking B2B, it gets kind of fuzzy because I'm like, well, you know, I'm selling B2B, but ultimately there is a person or a role that you most are consistently selling to or that is most consistently expressing a problem. And then they have the ability to influence a decision-maker if they're not that decision-maker themselves. So narrowing down who is the, the person, start thinking about the business as who is the person who influences the decision in that business, because businesses are, I mean, some of them are run by artificial intelligence, but most of the businesses that we're serving are run by humans. So that's step two is who is the person that can make the decision to hire you? And then where are they online? And ideally You have some experience working with this person or this this role or even better maybe you've done it yourself right and so if those aren't true you are working at a disadvantage this is harder but i think folks find the most success when they're again doubling down on an area like oh i've already worked with these clients or i already worked in this industry and now i'm going out to do it on my own for other brands or other companies things like that and so you already have some insider knowledge about where they might gather? Is it certain, you know, forums or discussion lists or LinkedIn groups or Facebook groups, or are there certain hashtags on Twitter that they're active on? Are there certain blogs or resources? Are there events or, I mean, events are a weird thing in 2020, but but if you think about like what what do events represent, because they, they will come back at some point in some form, events represent community leaders bringing together community members. And that can take any form, digital, real world, whatever it is. But if you're in the industry, you get a sense of who that is. And if you don't know, you got to start talking to the people who do and say, well, when you're running into a problem, where do you go for advice? Is there anywhere online you go for advice? Are there any books or authors that you respect or trust? Because then you can go look at that book, that author, look at their product reviews and see, is there any themes there? But you can also say, well, where is that person promoting their book? Oh, they're promoting it at these conferences or in these forums. Like you can sort of, it's almost like doing what Facebook does with lookalike audiences, but with your own damn brain. So that's step two. Now you've got a clearly defined audience, a clearly defined kind of person who you can talk to, and a place where they are on the internet. Now, the most important step of all is you go to that place and you listen. You read. And I always tell people, like, if you're starting out with this, Time box yourself to like 15, maybe 30 minutes a day where you could be doom scrolling on Twitter or losing time in whatever your blow-off Steam internet go-to is, replace that with this. And go and lurk and read. And specifically read for what questions people are asking, what problems or challenges come up as patterns, like over the course of a week, you're going to see the same thing show up more than once. And maybe not the exact same question, but, oh, they're asking a whole bunch of questions about this. And based on my expertise, I actually have a pretty good answer for this. And so you can get in those comments and start interacting, right? And before you're writing any blog posts, doing any podcasts, creating any product, you are in there participating as a peer. Because What you want to be is seen as a trustworthy leader. The people go, That's the person who knows what I need to know. I want to buy stuff from them. But in order to become a leader, you have to first be a member. You have to first participate, show who you are, show what you got, be helpful. And that is a direct path. It's only the first couple of steps, but that begins a direct path to earning trust and credibility within a group of people. And if you do that right, you are well on your way to having what I think you and I are talking about when we talk about an audience, which for me is just a consistent way to reach a bunch of people who already know that I exist. Trust me enough to be interested in what I have to say next. What platform that's on, whether it's social media or an email list or a website. Like, I think there are strengths and weaknesses to each of those. And I always advocate wherever you are, you should also have an email list, but ultimately be there to be helpful, answer questions earn trust. That is extremely doable. I think that the hardest part for folks who don't have that muscle yet is to, is it's not to, you can't find the time. You have to make the time. That's why I say like schedule out the 15 minutes and maybe for your first week or two, you're just reading. And then at the end of somewhere in week two, you're like, okay, I'm going to set a goal of responding to one question every other day something like that kind of work your way up to it again if this is not your comfort zone if it's not something you're used to what you'll find over time and it will surprise you how little time it takes to be seen as a trustworthy source that the next time a question comes up that you've answered in the past another community member is like Oh, Matthew had an awesome answer for that. The last time I asked it, you should go over here and see, he even turned his answer into a blog post. You can go read it. Or he's got a podcast. You know, see see where this is turning it like it's some, but surprisingly little effort uh, in terms of really, really trying to connect as long as you're actually trying when you're doing it to show up and, and to kind of flip the switch from another regular to one of the most helpful ones.
0: The next page over, you say, earning trust is a critical piece of sales. Bad self-promotion feels bad because it skips the step of earning the privilege of asking for the sale. You mentioned bad self-promotion. So I want to understand what does what is actually bad self promotion like what when you were writing that like what were you actually thinking of and then on the flip side like what is good self promotion is it what you were already just stating or is it what does that actually look like so I want to kind of have that contrast in in this question so when I think about bad self promotion I think about the person who
1: only ever shows up when it's to share a link to their stuff or worse, they share a link, no context, where the, you know, even if that thing on the other side of that link is really good, the expectation is that I'm going to click on it, right? It's really selfish. It's a selfish expectation versus let's use that same example. How do you reshape that example to something that's good? Well, one is if you're posting a link to your stuff, and anytime I'm doing a post to, that links to my stuff, I'm... In the post, going to try and provide enough value to answer the question that if even if the person doesn't click, they still got something out of it, right? I'm not going to hide my stuff on the other side, say, Hey, come over here so I can hit you with an email opt in and I'll give you the good stuff. Like, because no, people are not stupid. I mean, people look at that and go, Yeah, you're just trying to get me onto your marketing site so you can get my email address. So, guess what? don't do that. And I know that's like, that sounds really simple, but if you show that you're not trying to hold the good stuff away from them, it makes them go, wow, that was so good. I wonder what what else there is. Right. So another thing that, especially if we're talking about, you know, any of these sort of promotional, you know, sort of not promotional platforms, but you know, social networks and things like that. I think people over index sharing their thing as the main post, you know, a new LinkedIn post, a new tweet, a new forum post, uh, you know, I go into my, my niche forum. Indie hackers is, you know, one of the places we hang out a bunch and, you know, people post, you know, the thing, the new thing that they just launched and you can get some traction, but it's also like kind of hit or miss, right? It's a combination of timing and did you phrase it right? And you know, what else is going on in the world that day? Is it maybe there are other distractions? It could be anything, but if you're in the comments you can do a lot more because if you think about how, how a conversation online unfolds, there's the there are the threads that get posted and almost nothing happens in the comments, but then there's the threads that get posted and things that do happen in the comments. Well, we're drawn to those because we want to see, well, what conversation is happening there? The post that's got some, you know a link to somebody else's thing, I'll go check that later. But the post that asks an interesting question and has a bunch of replies, well, I need to see what other people had to say right? And so we're actually drawn into that. And so I, like I do my best work in the comments and it's not that I don't post new things that I'm sharing. It's that if I'm posting them, I post them with really low expectations, but the long-term value I get out of being on a forum or a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group, wherever it is, Twitter, and posting something in as a reply, I get two things. I get three things from it actually. One, I help that person I don't care if it helps anybody else in that moment. I'm helping one person. And if you scale down your expectations, I'm going to do everything in my power to help that one person. You will win every time. And then you get to feel good about that moment and move on to the next one. Two is for anyone else watching, right? And I think a lot of times folks forget that on the internet, the room is bigger than it seems to be. And it lasts much longer than that moment. So if I'm posting a reply in a forum, that forum post shows up in Google's index. Down the road, somebody writes, uh, types a similar question into Google. That forum thread pops up or that tweet pops up. And then they go looking at, well, what did other people reply? And they find me. My reply is being seen over and over and over and over and over instead of that first post, which is me trying to hopefully connect with the audience. I'm sort of piggybacking on things that have already connected with the audience. And the third thing is that i don't have to fear some of the other concerns that people have around self promotion because on one hand we're talking about bad self promotion is the thing that people do and it just doesn't work um but the other side of it is is you know if you you sometimes try and post stuff on the internet if it's in a moderated forum or something like that you might have your stuff taken down right you might have your stuff uh, you know moderated removed marked as spam things like that If you're just helpful in the comments, it's pretty unambiguous. If you reply in the comments with a link in no other context, expect to get banned. Banned. You deserve it. But if you are being helpful in the comments and you have a track record of being helpful in the comments and you occasionally include a link that says, if that was good, I went a little bit deeper. Or there's a cheat sheet. Or there's, you know, I did an interview with somebody about this. If you're interested in learning more, you can go deep with those kinds of things. Unless there is an explicit rule that says you are never allowed to link to your own stuff ever which is pretty rare, you're you're good. Moderators really want people to be there to engage with people who are asking questions, people that are looking for help. You're doing the thing that they want you to do, which is be helpful, so long as you're doing that in addition to linking to your post. So it's amazing how thin the line can, can be between bad self-promotion and good self-promotion. The difference is thinking about them more than you're thinking about yourself.
0: That's it. After the break, Alex tells his story about how he started his freelance business and built one of the first co-working spaces, Indie Hall. This show is created by Katozi Collective. Beyond our weekly podcast, we have a weekly newsletter that comes out every Thursday called The Marketing Memo. We have some marketing tips to help you build your audience and we curate amazing examples of great content that other brands are producing. It is free and you can sign up on our website that is linked in our show notes. Now, let's get back to the show. Alex wrote his book after years of experience in business and working with many clients. I wanted to go back to when he first started his career. Alex dropped out of Drexel University and started creating websites for clients. I wanted to know how he was able to build his business and get clients.
1: From the outside, it looks like I drop out of school. I'm at an agency job. I quit the agency job and I start freelancing. And that's true, but it's not the whole story as tends to be the case. What actually happened was, while I was in school, I got an agency job as a co-op, as an intern, basically, an intern plus plus. And I loved that job. I loved my teammates. I loved the work I was doing. I realized that making things on the internet was what I was made for. Like as close to a calling as I've ever felt at that point in time. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is so fun. And then that company kind of fell apart and went through a massive growth spurt and quick, you know, kind of imploded. And so I ended up working at another agency. I was deeply unhappy for a variety of reasons. But what was most confusing is because I had the relationships from the previous agency and a bunch of people had left, I had people reaching out to me and saying, hey, uh, I, I, instead of going to get another agency job, I started doing my own thing, or I've now teamed up with two or three other people. We need someone who does what you do. Are you available? And I said, well, I got this full-time job, but I could do a little extra work nights and weekends. And that was the light bulb moment for me was I had people I had already worked with. I wasn't building an audience, but I had people I had already worked with, which means what's the common theme? We have trust. So I think people overlook their existing network as people who already trust them. And they say, you know, well, those people aren't in my audience. And that may be true, but there's a good chance that they know people who are. And I can give you another really concrete example that's not me and that is my my best friend and also not in web development this is super niche industry so my best friend is a sommelier he's a wine expert he spent a lot of his career many many years over a decade of training to be a person who knows more about wine than the vast majority of people on the planet and does that in fine dining restaurants and as a consultant working with people that are building wine programs for the restaurants and all these kinds of things. But for a long time, Eric had been working in really high end restaurants, world round restaurants, making better money than most people make in restaurants, but for what he could be doing and what he could be earning, it, it wasn't that much. And the part of the that is, is like a small of a pool of, certified sommeliers as there are in a world in the world with his level of certification there's an even smaller number of businesses that pay you know top tier for it and so i said to him for many many years when are you going to stop letting these restaurants bully you around and then tell them if they want to hire you that they hire you on your terms right because even when he was getting paid well they were treating him like garbage and he we'd talk about it and he'd say yeah you know you're right and then he'd do nothing about it And as tends to be the case, things came to a head and he finally decided he was going to listen. And he said, he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, for him, his first step was going to be, I'm going to go build a website and I'm going to list a menu of all the services that I can provide for all the different kinds of clients that I can provide them. And I said, don't you dare. He said, said, so what do you mean? That's what I need to start a business. I go, Eric, you have one of the best professional networks in your industry. It's huge. It's connected to influential people who've got money to spend and everybody loves you. That's something that people would kill to have getting into any industry and you already have it. That's all leverage. I said, you're going to make one post. One maybe two, one to Facebook, one to LinkedIn, because that's where most of your network is. And you're going to say, hey, everybody, good news. I'm independent now. And if you've ever wanted to work with me on a wine-related project, shoot me an email. That's it. He still doesn't have a website. It's been three years. He's still working on projects that came out of those first couple of posts and then the enduring word of mouth that came out of it. Does it does that mean he shouldn't have a website? Of course not. My point is is that when when you're starting anything what people don't do is look at the leverage they have and how to make the most of it. Right? They treat things like they're starting from scratch. Eric wasn't starting from scratch. He was starting with 20 years of restaurant industry experience, 15 years of wine industry experience, tons of relationships into some of the most prestigious winemaking institutions in the world. And he was going to start with a website. Are you mad? Send a, like, send a couple of emails and write a Facebook post and see what shows up. And if nothing shows up, then I'll I'm happy to be wrong and you can build your website but I knew I wasn't going to be wrong because I know what it looks like when you have the leverage of trust in relationships and you give it a chance to show up for you. That's all it was. And it's the exact same thing that I did when I made the leap, when I left the agency job, went out on my own. It was because I already had a few freelance gigs. I saw that it was possible. And the only difference between doing a few freelance gigs on the side and making it my full-time income was saying, okay, I just need a consistent, pipeline, a consistent system for making sure that I'm getting work while I'm doing work. That's a totally different conversation. That's strategic in operations. It's important, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about step one is evaluating your leverage, evaluating your assets. And if you've already worked in an industry, you probably have more than you think
0: you have. You're just afraid to ask for it. And
1: that's okay, but you got to get
0: over that. Indie Hall is a co-working space in Philadelphia and it was started in 2006. Indie Hall was actually one of the first co-working spaces created in the US before remote working and freelancing were as popular and common as today. Alex and 10 friends came together to start Indie Hall, but I wanted to know how did they go from the original crew to attracting people into their space and building a thriving community that Indy Hall is today? Well, on one hand, you're
1: you're going to be disappointed because it's, it's going to start to seem like I only have one trick. <laughs> but it's basically everything that we've been talking about. That initial group of 10, I didn't start with, I had to go find them. And I had, you know, it was a combination of some folks that I had found through these freelancing, bit of freelancing networking I'd, I'd been doing. But the original genesis for Indie Hall wasn't because I wanted a space. It was because I was feeling limited in building those networks. And I was finding that projects were most successful when I teamed up with other freelancers who I already knew and had a chance to work with a little bit. If you're trying to build a relationship while you're working together, it's very difficult because the work is kind of the reason and the work doesn't always go the way you want it to. And so then the relationship kind of gets spoiled by the the work not going well. Whereas if you flip it around and you build a relationship first, when the work doesn't go well, you can bond over the common enemy of the project or the client or whatever it might be. But it was hard to find those people. And so that was what the, the original goal was, like, where, where are those people? How do we know each other before we need each other? That's the one trick, right? How do we know each other before we need each other? That maps to everything. How we got from there to today is a combination of, of two things. One is repeating that. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. one of the lessons in the tiny MBA is a lot of success is boring repetition, and people get there by being willing to repeat themselves. I've been repeating myself for like fifteen years. I've been saying slightly different versions of it based on who's in the room and what the goals are. But at the end of the day, the indie Hall story is one of the things that we do today that work are the things that we did back then. We just do them. We do more of it. We do it with more people. You know, once we had a space set up, the goal was not to get people to the space. The goal is to get people to connected to each other. I think space is a commodity. I think we, we work in, and a lot of other co-working spaces got confused along the way that they could, were in the business of renting out space. Indie Hall has never been in the business of renting out space. We're a membership organization and the primary value of membership is the other members. And so... The way we, we combined the, again, the sort of audience building and community building are not the same thing. For me, the big difference is, is you take everything that you're doing with audio, audience building, and you point it, you point the audience members at each other, right? So with audience building, my goal is for individuals to build trust with me. With community building, my goal is for people to build trust with each other and for me to become invisible right and when indie hall becomes known as a place where people who are seeking other people and a place where um a place where trust is valued it suddenly stands out among all these other opportunities for networking and and sharing space because the the difference that is uncopyable is the other people. People join Indie Hall because of what they've heard about the other people in the room. And so our focus on designing experiences where people can build trusted bonds with each other is the multiplier effect. It's when somebody goes, This is now an integral part of my life. It's how I solve problems. It's where I build friendships. It's where I, you know, find connections to things that I don't know how to reach. And when one of their friends goes, I'm trying to do XYZ, they go, Well, someone in Indy Hall knows how to do that. And they go, What's Indie Hall? And they start going, Well, it's my co-working space. But there's a lot more to it, and you know the number one source of new members for Indie Hall has always been existing members. You know, as coworking mainstreamed, we definitely got more people who started searching out like coworking Philadelphia and stuff like that, which is great. Um, you know, we've always done events. People discover us by coming to an event for somebody else. And they go, "Oh, this is cool. What is this?" That's great. Those are all pieces to the puzzle, but our energy, our primary focus like if if i could only do one thing and get rid of and i had to get rid of events which right now we do have to do and i had to get rid of you know searching for a co-working space which right now i have to do what's left people still need and want support they want structure in their day they want supportive peers they want inspiration they want to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve and to know that they're not the only one trying to do it indie hall's number one like like reason we exist is because doing your own thing is lonely and nowadays remote work is lonely and entrepreneurship is lonely and honestly some days just being a human being is kind of lonely (laughs) so like it doesn't matter what you do if you feel like doing it in isolation is not for you anymore some or all of the time there's a good chance you're going to stumble into somebody in our community who who feels that way and has and will then cite, "Hey, Indie Hall is part of how I I solve those problems for myself." So, so yeah, it's those two things. It's doing the same thing we've always done, and then I think that extra layer beyond audience building is, again, you know, audience building is trust between you and the you and the other person. You know, the recipient, uh, your Twitter follower, your social media follower, your email subscriber, your customer, one to one, or in this case, one to many. Community building is many to many. And I have an article that folks can check out. If you search for uh, Alex Hillman, community manager, uh, you'll find an article about why I think community management is a terrible thing to describe what we do and, and a different way of thinking about it instead. And it's got some graphics and visualizations for really showing the difference between how not just difficult, but also likely for burnout, the one to many thing is as you continue to endure and scale versus the many to many value creation model that we've followed and has has served us really well e- even i would say even and especially in the pandemic while other I mean, we're not without our struggles right now i've got a you know 20,000 square foot space with a landlord that wants money um pandemic's been tough but indeed the core of what Indie hall has always been did not skip a beat if anything it became better and more resilient and more valuable during the 2020 pandemic because what do people need now more than anything else? Each other. And there's not a lot of places to get it where it feels safe and where you feel like you can go and, and, and reliable. And so by being safe and reliable and continuing to do the things that we've always done just
0: now in an online setting, we can do this forever. I finish off the podcast with a segment called open mic. This is a chance for my guests to share anything they want. A lot of times I feel like people get stuck behind the industry that they are in, but we are all human and have other interests outside of that. So this is a space for my guests to say whatever they want to say.
1: I'm going to use this platform to tell people to go vote. Uh, So if this comes out before the election vote, vote, In america in this election or if you can vote in your country i know that we've got a a lot of folks living in america who can't vote um and and wish that the people who can vote did uh i'm not here to tell you how to vote i am here to tell you to vote and participate in not just in in the democracy but come at it from the perspective of of community of all the stuff we've been talking about uh Communities are only as good as our participation in them. That's the theme of this conversation. And while this is a weird year and a gnarly election and who knows what the other side looks like, if you're listening to this on the other side of the 2020 election, Godspeed. Um, (laughs) But not just this election um, and not just in America, if you have the ability to vote, I hope you do. And... I hope that you take a moment to look at the people around you and encourage them to do the same. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do today.
0: This conversation with Alex taught me about giving in a community. We shouldn't focus on building an audience to sell a product. We should focus on building a community The only way to build a community is to give and continue to give without expectation. We have an exciting giveaway for you. If you write a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast listening app, you will be put into a drawing for one of the copies of Alex's book. If you don't win, no worries. We have a 20% discount code for you. Write how to show in all caps as you're checking out for the book on stackingbricks.com you can follow alex on twitter and check out stacking the bricks which is his company helping freelancers to succeed all the links to alex and his book will be in the show notes thank you alex for being on the show if you like this show tweet me at matthew and if you want a free book drop a rating on apple Podcasts or your podcast listening app i will announce the winner on the next episode thank you in advance for the reviews and i will talk to you next week